Uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians. If you guys would turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians this morning. Uh, 1 Thessalonians is an interesting book because Paul planted the church in Thessalonica. Uh, he was there, um, and yet he got run out, got run out of town. Um, quickly, the Jews wouldn't put up with him anymore, and it says that they kicked him out. And it seems kind of like not only did they kick him out, but like they were like keeping watch for him, like that they put out like an all-points bulletin. If you see Paul, uh, proceed to beat him and throw him out of the city or something. I don't know, but um, so much so where Paul wanted to go back and to see them because uh, the church was really young, but it seems like he couldn't get there. And so he said, instead he sends Timothy uh, to go check on the church. It's probably like, you know, Paul's picture is on the wanted poster, but Timothy's is not. And so Timothy's able to sneak back into Thessalonica and uh, get a report on the church and how they're doing. And so Paul writes 1 Thessalonians kind of in response to that report um, from, Paul, uh, from Timothy about how they're doing. They were a persecuted church. Um, obviously, Paul gets run out of town because he's not from around these parts. But for the, per- for the people that were from around these parts, they had to stay. And they stayed among a Jewish people that were mad at them and they did not want uh, anything to do with them. And they were persecuting them and trying to make their life difficult at any point where they could. Uh, overall, the church is doing really, really well uh, in spite of Paul's worries and concerns. And there are some few things where they're, they're tempted to, to go away, right? So here's this guy, Paul. He comes in. He preaches this revolutionary message. And then he's gone. He's gone. And some of them were tempted to say, like, was that real? Like, was that just some emotional, experiential thing where, like, I had this thing and now I should just go back to being Jewish like everybody else is telling me I should do? Or what's going on? So Paul was concerned about that, but the relationship with Christ was real. Uh, they received God's word and truth. They had turned away from idols. They had turned away from following um, dead religion, and they were walking with Christ. And overall, it's a very encouraging book. Um, and so we're going to read starting in chapter 5, uh, verse 14. If you all would turn there. First Thessalonians 5. And if you'd stand in honor of God's word, we would, we'll read uh, from the text. First Thessalonians 5. We're going to start in verse 14. I'm reading from the NIV, which I can debate with you later if you want. Um, it says this, 5.14. We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. You all bow your heads and pray with me that we can understand what God has to say to us. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, we believe that it is inspired and inerrant, uh, that it's living and active. We pray that you would teach us by it, God, that we would learn, but not just learn, that we would go and do what you say. Uh, God, touch our hearts, convict us, encourage us, spur us on uh, to live for you, God. Again, we love you. Thank you for Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. 
So the world today is kind of struggling with roles, uh, roles and responsibilities. Who's supposed to do what? Who's in charge? I mean, I know I have a boss, but if they're offensive, then I don't really have to listen to them. And uh, even with parents and families and it's the whole world like is, is going, what are we supposed to do? Who's in charge? Who's on first? I just don't, I just don't understand. And so I don't think the church at Thessalonica was struggling with that. That's today's problem. But this section that Paul, that Paul is writing is about that. It's about roles and responsibilities within the church. He's talked to them a lot about their own personal relationship with Christ. He's talked to them a lot about living a sanctified life. But now he's going to kind of bring that at the end of the letter down to what does that look like among us? Among us. Um, I skipped over two verses that I went over in the first service. Uh, verses 12 and 13 really talk about the congregation's role to the leadership. Right, that, that the congregation has a role to play um, towards the leaders, that they are to respect them, that they are to uh, consider them in love, that they are to be at peace with each other. All right, and that really um, there's a role that the congregation plays, and I talked about that first service, but I ran out of time, so we're going to skip it this service. Um, our congregation on the whole does wonderful with this. And we as your leaders, we feel respected. We feel loved. Um, there is peace in our congregation, and so... I'm glad that I don't have to bring that up a lot, but it needs to continue, that there's this thing where uh, towards the leadership as a congregation, we respond, okay? Um, so what, I'm, what we're going to start talking about is in verse 14, what are our roles towards each other, right? What's our roles and responsibilities towards each other in the church, okay? Um, can I just do whatever? So I want to tell you this. One of the reasons why I wanted to come to this passage is, first off, to, some of these verses were, the most in, were very influential on me when I was first a Christian, um, they were very, very impactful. And secondly, we just got through going through Matthew 18. Through Matthew 18. Um, and Matthew 18 talks about a lot of things. One of the most controversial things it talks about is church discipline and confronting each other and calling each other out on sin and then bringing two or three witnesses. Some of you will remember all that. If you weren't here, you can read Matthew 18. And I just want to tell you that not every interaction with each other has to be a confrontation right? Uh, not every interaction with each other as a church has to be, okay, I need you to sit down, and I need to tell you that you've been sinning. And if you don't listen to me, then I'm going to got two other people I'm going to bring. We're all going to tell you that you've been sinning, right? Now listen, I believe that's a part of what we need to do for each other. There are times when believers are walking in sin, when they're doing things that the scriptures clearly say are wrong, and that we need to go to each other in those moments and say, hey, uh, this is wrong, what you're doing is not, is not what God wants for your life um, and to go through that process. But I do want to tell you this morning that that's not the only way we get to interact with each other, okay? And so the first thing, if you're a note taker, as far as our roles towards each other is to warn the idle. Look down at verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. All right, I'm going to use military or kind of marching illustrations this morning. All right, so if I took all of us and I put you down the center aisle... And I said, two lines, and I said, now we're going to march around the property. I'm going to march. How would that go? It'd be disastrous, right? Those in the military are going, you got to be kidding me, right? Rick Morgan was here first service, and he was like, oh, no, no. Um, there'd be people out of step. There'd be people shuffling all over. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be like a well-organized march, okay? What this word idle means is it means out of step. It means out of step. Um, it doesn't necessarily just mean lazy. It could be lazy, meaning like if we're marching and we're marching at a pace and some people are falling behind, 
That could be laziness. But it can mean other things too. Maybe you're on the right foot instead of the left foot. Maybe you're a little bit out of line because you're distracted by something over here. And the word warn there has the idea that when someone's out of step, we should tell them. We should tell them. I don't think it means this big, huge confrontation, but I think it means to say, hey, um, hey, you're off step there. Let's get back in, let's get back where everybody like to say, hey, we're all moving this way. You gotta keep, you gotta move with us. You gotta, there's this idea that the congregation is moving as a whole and that we have a purpose to be here and that we're doing something and that we want people to be in step, okay? Um, I, don't need to, I don't need to sit down and pull the person out of line and say, hey, do you realize you're sinning by being out of line? Um, maybe, maybe they just got off step. Like may, maybe they were falling behind. Like it, it doesn't necessarily need to be this big, huge thing. There's a warning that happens going, hey, 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 uh, you're out of line. Just get, get back in line. All right, it can be as simple as that. Warn, warn the people. It doesn't, um, you're neglecting your duty, whatever it could be. It just needs to be, get back in line. And it's okay to warn each other. Um, sometimes you can tell that someone's kind of out of sync with what's going on. You'd be like, hey, we're believers. We're moving this way. We're loving the lost and we're trying to love each other and we're trying to reach out and we're trying like, and just to say, hey, this is what it's about. You know, maybe this applies in situations like the color of the carpet or when we have disagreements about little small things like that. And we go, hey, uh, it's not really, this isn't about the march. Let's just get, let's just get back in line. All right, let's just go. So that's one towards each other is that we would warn the idol. Number two is that we would encourage the timid. Look down what it says. It's pretty obvious. It says, encourage the timid. Right? It's not rocket science. Um, the idea here, if we're marching, the word literally means small-souled. Small-souled. Uh, the idea here is that the person on the march is fearful or discouraged. Uh, that we're marching in enemy territory and the person is tempted to hold back. That we've come under fire, and the person is tempted to run away. All right? <coughs> this doesn't so much... You guys get this? This isn't, this isn't helpful if I take that person and yell at them for wanting to turn back. Right? As the gunfire is going, and they're, they're fearful inside, what word does he say, right? He says, encourage the timid. That word encourage, it means cheerlead. It, it, means, it means just push and go, you can do it. You can do it. We can make it. Don't turn back now. Don't give up. Just keep going. Go and to cheerlead for one another. And there's a thing where in the congregation, when someone's discouraged or someone's fearful or someone's, or someone's doubting, whatever, we, we don't need to make it a huge confrontation. Sometimes we need to go and be an encouragement to them. And cheerlead for them and go, oh, man, I know life's been hard lately. You've come on some hard times. Keep going. Don't stop. Just pu push on. Um, oh, you're, I, know you're, I know you got some hard things in the future. Like you got, some, you got some big decisions to make or you've got some things that, some health prospects that look kind of scary or whatever. And we just go, keep going. Push on. Jesus is with us. Don't turn back. Um, sometimes... Sometimes we're not this way. <laughs> sometimes we're not encouraging. Um, sometimes we, we shoot the wounded, you know? Uh, instead, of, instead of coming around them and cheerleading and saying, hey, uh, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. Um, parents, I think about this, like we got to, 
we got to be, some of the teenagers, they're facing big stuff. They're facing big stuff. Um, some of us, to one another, um, we're facing big things. And so, we, and we, instead of, and instead we get on each other and we, we nitpick each other. We go, oh, you weren't at church. Why weren't you at church? You must be less spiritual. You weren't at church. Maybe they need a cheerleader to help them get to church. Um, may, maybe they could use someone to help them not be as fearful about life and to really uh, keep going in their fears. Um, sometimes we get fearful in the battle and we just need a cheerleader. Um, so, number three. So, we can warn each other, we encourage each other. Number three is that we would help each other. Look down. Again, it just says, help the weak at the middle of verse 14. The weak, this is the idea of someone who's just not, which is amazing, they're just not strong. You go, thanks for the brilliant definition of weak, right? The person is just not strong. But here's the idea. It's not that they don't want to keep going. Um, so like a lot of times as a young believer, you're in. Like you're, you come to Jesus, you're like, yes, I'm, I'm in. And, I, and Jesus asks you to change all this stuff in your life. You go, yeah, I want to change all that stuff in my life. But then a couple months later, you go, man, it's really hard to change all this stuff in my life. Right? It's like, it's like the, the troops marching uphill now and the pack you're carrying is too heavy for you. That's the idea of someone who's weak. The idea is they're not strong. They want to get to the top. It's not that they're afraid. It's not that they want to go the wrong direction. It's not that they want to be out of line. But they're stumbling over the weight of what they're carrying. Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe whatever it could be. But the idea as believers is, what do we do? We don't yell at them, right? We don't go, oh, aren't you strong enough yet? What do you do when someone's having trouble carrying their pack? You go and you help them. <laughs> you go, hey, give me, give me that machine gun. I'll help you carry it up the hill. We got to make it up the hill. We're going up the hill together and we're not leaving you behind. And so let's go. We're moving together. Help. So what does this mean? Uh, it means we help each other in really practical ways. When life gets overwhelming, we help each other. Um, for those of us who've walked with the Lord for a long time, kind of a long time for me, not compared to some of you, we, sometimes we struggle with these things. We struggle with these. We look at someone who's weak and we go, aren't you strong yet? Aren't you strong yet? Or we look at someone who's discouraged and faint-hearted and we go, come on, just get, just get it together. Don't be afraid. Folks, in my own life this year, like these have been big things for me, like to feel that whole small soul thing of going, man, I feel like I used to have more faith. I feel like stuff used to not be as worrying and troublesome and that, and that life was easier and I was just moving along, but now there's like this fear to move forward or now there's this weight and it seems difficult. And so we say to each other, don't, don't give up. Don't give up. We say, don't, we say, don't, we say, let me help you. Let me help you. And look what he says. This is probably the hardest one. Number four. It says this. Uh, at the end of verse 14, be patient with everyone. This is probably where the military analogy ceases, right? I don't think the drill sergeant's really all that, uh, all that compassionate when it comes to these things. Uh, the idea of patient is uh, we do it over and over again without blowing up. So when your kid gets out of line, so I got a one-year-old and a three-year-old, you want to talk about patience, right? <laughs> um, 
when they get out of line, I need to warn them over and over again. Uh, parents of teenagers, the same. Right? To warn them the same way the first time that you warned them the hundredth time. Like to do the same, to be long, to say, hey, I can still help you. It means we don't look at the people that are weak and say, get it together, right? The first time we're all compassionate. We go, oh, you're having trouble carrying that? Oh, let me help you. The second time we go, uh, didn't I help you before? Didn't I? Well, okay, I guess I'll help you again. And the third time we go, aren't you strong enough yet? Aren't you strong enough to get this by yourself yet? Why do I have to keep helping you? And like I said, especially for those of us that have walked with Jesus for a while, we can start struggling with these things. And we start looking at people with expectations and going, why are you afraid? Why are you weak? And instead of being patient where we go, I'll do this with you over and over again. I'll climb this hill with you a hundred times. If you need me to climb it with you a hundred times. I'll help you get in step. I'll sit there in your ear and shout, left, left, like whatever I can do to help you stay in step. I will, when you feel small-souled, I will cheer you on. I think about the coaches of like the little four-year-old teams, right? Or five-year-old teams where you're like, and I, I always think basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport. And so they shoot and like they don't even reach the rim half the time. And yet the coach goes, yeah, 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 good. Keep going, keep going. We as believers, as the D, I don't, it, just keep cheering. Just keep cheering. Don't give up. Just go, hey, keep going, keep shooting. You're going to learn to get there someday. Keep going. Be patient with each other. Um, these verses, when I was first a believer, meant so much to me because it was like, there's a, there's a life, there's a part of what's supposed to happen out here together that I can be a part of, right? Not, not everyone's going to sit up here and teach. And to be real honest, if I'm up here teaching, but we're not doing the things that I just talked about, it doesn't matter, right? If I'm up here preaching against sin, and yet someone's struggling and we won't help them up the hill... If I'm up here preaching about faith, or Kevin's up here preaching about faith, and yet when someone's fearful, we don't, we don't encourage them. If I'm up here saying, don't sin, stop sinning, get in line, we're moving this way, and yet when someone's out of line, we just mock them or make them feel bad. Do you guys get it? If the, if the body's not doing these things, if this is not our roles and responsibilities with each other, then just strong teaching's not going to do much. You guys get that? Um, and so, but this verse for me was like, whoa, I have something to do around here. Some of us were waiting for someone to invite us to like scrape the ceiling or something. I don't know. Forget all the, forget all the, like, don't forget the property needs, right? Come help the property guys. But you know what I mean? Um, that's a building. If the building falls apart and yet we're doing these four things, we're warning, we're encouraging, we're helping, and we're being patient, we're going to be a strong church. We're going to be a strong church. And you all can play a role in that. I don't, you don't have to be able to paint or teach or play guitar to do this kind of service in the body. All of you can do this. And, all, and if we're willing to admit it, all of us need this. Different times or another, okay? Let's keep going. Uh, number five, things we're responsible for to each other. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. So the idea is see to it that no one gets revenge. Revenge is an interesting thing. Um, when you have one child, you don't learn very much about revenge. But as soon as you have two children, right? Now I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and man, revenge is what our house is all about right now. 
right? If, if Jacob takes Beck's toy, then Beck gets to do something mean back. If Beck takes his toy, then he gets, like, this is how their relationship is working right now, and we're trying to work on it. But um, the point is, though, sometimes we do this in the, this is a natural human response. When someone does something wrong to me, I want to do something wrong to them. I want to hurt them. Some of you go, oh, no, that's not my response. Sure, sure, okay, yeah. In our hearts, we struggle with this. We struggle with this. Um, and this church was persecuted, meaning what? They had people doing stuff wrong to them all the time. And Paul says, you know what you should do with each other? Help each other not to pay back evil. When someone does evil to you, don't give them evil back. Why, why are we as believers, why are we that way? Because what do I give God all the time? Evil. And what does he give me back? Hello, is this thing on? What does God give me back in return for my sin? Grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, blessing, abundant blessing. And so we as all people, when, we're ten, when someone in this congregation hurts you, we need to come around each other and go, don't, I know it hurt, I know what they said was wrong, but don't get revenge, don't try to hurt them back, don't try to make it a huge deal. Right? That's what it means. I know the way they treated you wasn't right, but we're not, we're not the, we don't give evil in return. We don't give, in fact, we give blessing in return. That we would not be the kind of people that seek revenge. That was point number five. See, two, that no one pays back evil. Number six is this. Look down at the end of verse 15. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. The word literally means to pursue good for one another to pursue good, that we as believers would be about pursuing good for each other. And what does he add at the end? Not just for each other, but also for everyone else. Um, let me just warn us real fast. If I'm pursuing the good of myself all the time, am I going to be pursuing the good of others? No. No. And so Paul says, hey, after you're done being who you should be, just pursue good. Just think about what would be good for other people in the church and in your community and go do that. Go do that. Don't worry about pursuing good for yourself. Don't worry about your own things. Go pursue good for other people. Um, folks, Christmas is a great time for this. I mean, go ring the bell. Bring a shoebox. Do, do something to get ourselves pursuing good for other people, right? That we as believers would be known for this goodness that we give to other people, that we believers would be known for pouring that out to everybody that we know of and not worrying about it being poured back out to us. Okay? If everybody in the congregation does that, guess what? Everybody gets goodness. <laughs> if I worry about it for Rob, and Rob worries about it for Craig, and Craig worries about it for you know, Val, and Val for, and then somehow it's going to get back to me. And I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it. That's towards each other. Um, last, I, I'm running a little bit out of time still, but what about towards God? Look at verse 16. And these verses have been life-changing this year for me, which is weird because they're very simple. Or it seems weird, I guess. Verse 16, Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Those of you who have known me for a long time, some of you have known me for a long time, you would probably not say that I'm a naturally joyful person, right? Especially if you would have known me back in the day when I was in high school. See, Corinne's here. That's bad. She knew me when I was uh, in high school together with her. Um, 
naturally joyful. That did, that's, not, that's not who I was. That's not who I am. And I would look at these people that were happy and I, or joyful and I'd go, what's their smiling about? Right? People would have called me grouchy. Right? Sometimes my wife still calls me grouchy. Right? And I deserve it. And the deal is, um, it says be joyful always. That I'm learning, what I'm learning, folks, is that this rejoicing thing is a choice. Right? This is an attitude. This is an attitude. I, in, in, I know, look at me. Some of you guys are going, well, oh, I'm, just, I'm just a grouchy kind of person. No, you're choosing that. And I chose it. And I still do choose it a lot, but I'm learning not to. Right? I'm learning not to. I'm learning to say, God has all these things, the trials of this year, the hard times, the, the ups and downs in ministry, in my life, in your life, all that stuff, God has there for a good reason. And I can choose to rejoice. Or I can choose to pity myself. That's the choice right there. I can choose to pity myself and be grouchy. Or I can choose to trust God and rejoice. Now, I know it's overly simple. Trials are hard. I'm not condemning anyone because Lord knows this is the biggest ask anybody. This is the biggest struggle in my life. Um, but it's a choice to rejoice always. And if I'm rejoicing, guess what? I'm going to pray. I can talk to God all the time. When I have a good attitude, me and God, we're talking all the time. <laughs> and I'm thankful for what he puts in my life. <coughs> but when I choose to pity myself, instead I complain and become grouchy. These are the patterns of our lives. And this is a responsibility in my role towards God. My role towards him is to rejoice always in everything that he gives me. Why? Because it's from his good hand. It's from my Father who loves me and cares for me. And so I rejoice, and I pray, and I give thanks. What does he say at the end of this? At the end of verse 18. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, this is beautiful to me. Some, as a youth pastor, I have a lot of conversations about God's will for your life. Right? God's will for your life. Where should I go to college? Who should I marry? What career should I choose? Should I take the AP class? Should I not take the AP class? Uh, what, what I've been learning is that God's will for your life is a lot more about the here and now than it is about the future. You guys get that? What does he say is God's will for my life? To rejoice, to pray, to be thankful. That has nothing to do with the future. And yet, I'm waiting on God to give me some direction for the future, whereas a lot of times I'm ignoring the right now. Right now, God tells me to rejoice. Right now, God tells me to be thankful. But instead, I'm waiting. It's like, to use another military illustration, if the commander tells you, be ready, be prepared, do your drills, be ready. And the the, the the unit could go, oh, but we want to know where we're going. We want to know what the next step is. We want to know who the enemy is. We want to know where the next fight is. We want to know, we want to know where the safe zone is. We want to know all that stuff. And the commander could look at them and go, just be ready. If you're ready today, then you're going to be ready for all of that. And a lot of times we look at God's will wrongly and that we want him to explain to us the five, ten-year plan instead of saying, you know what, God? Today I'm going to rejoice. Today I'm going to be thankful. And as I point that direction, then tomorrow I'll do it. 
Tomorrow I'll do it. And eventually, God's going to lead you exactly where he wants you to go. It's not going to come on an engraved stone, the five-year plan for your life. But as you rejoice, and as you pray, and as you're thankful, and as we fulfill these roles to one another, God's going to lead and guide us to the right jobs, to the right schools, to the right everything. Because <laughs> that's who he is. That's who he is. And even if it's hard, the hard school or the hard job, God's going to use in my life and I can rejoice. Um, so God's will. Um, I want to skip down just because I don't have time to go through the 19 through 22. I'd love to talk to you about that later. But I wanted to talk just finally, what is God's role in all this? What is God's role? Look down at verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace. God's role? God's role is to bring peace. Guess how he did that? How did God make peace with us? By the cross, right? By his blood shed on the cross. God stopped the war. And it was him. He paid the price for it to stop. And he offers me peace with him. Right? The God of peace. What else does God do? Look down. Verse 23. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. God sanctifies. Right? God sanctifies. God says, I am working in your life. I am working to make you who I want you to be. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't help each other to keep going because I'm working in you. I'm working to make you more holy. I'm working to make you who I want you to be. God says, that's my role. Keep going. Sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guess whose job it is? Well, just keep going. Um, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Guess whose job it is to get us to the end? It's God's role. It's God's role. Can I get an amen to that, right? Think about it. If I had to make it to the end, I can't even get up the hill, remember? <laughs> right? I can't even march in step. Um, I, I, I struggle to rejoice even once a day. And yet the Lord says, uh, I'm faithful and I will do it. I'm faithful and I will do it. It is his job to get us to the end. He promises that he will. Um, and so I want to encourage you with that. Um, one last story from the Thessalonians. God promises that we will be blameless at the end, right? Um, some of the Thessalonians died. died, and we, can, and we know where some of their tombs are. And on the tombs of some of these believers in Thessalonica, there's just one word written. Blameless. Blameless. So here we have a connection. Paul writes a letter to the Thessalonians saying, God's going to get you to the end blameless. And the Thessalonians, when somebody dies, what do they put on their tombstone? Blameless. They realized God had, God had done it. God's going to do it. God promises to do it. Um, God will work in us. And so again, roles in our culture get all confused, right? Who's in charge and who, what, you know, all this stuff. Um, within God's church, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, we as the congregation have a role to play towards each other. We have a role to play towards God, trusting Him, walking with Him, walking according to His Word. And God promises that His role towards us will be to sanctify us and to see us through to the end. Let me pray. We'll be done for today. God, thank you so much for these who are here. Um, God, if there's anybody here that does not have peace with you, I pray that, they would, that you would seek them out. 
and that they would know what it is that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that they might have forgiveness. God, you promised to carry us to the end. We thank you for that. God, help us to fulfill our roles one to another as we should. God, you're so good to us. Thank you that when we struggle, you forgive us. And just thank you, God, that you love us so much as to make these great and precious promises. God, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love to see you all. You are dismissed. Have a great day. Yeah. <clears throat>